Um, I want us to think about being let down. And I know that might sound like quite a, a pessimistic thing to say right at the beginning of a talk. All of us will have different um, understand, well, different experiences, different kind of feelings towards what being let down has been for um, us. For some of us, it might be little things that are perhaps funny, like the story I'm going to share in a second, or it might be quite big things, actually, that have been quite a big deal in our lives. Um, I've just had my second COVID vaccine a few weeks ago, and I really, really don't like injections. They absolutely terrify me. It's a phobia I've had all my life. And um, I have to say, the COVID uh, vaccines, both of them, I had them up at the town hall, they were incredible experiences for me. It was so fast. I went in. There was no sitting around, like, waiting in the doctor's room or anything like that. And it just happened, bish, bash, bosh, and I was out. And to be honest, it was quite an, sort of an anxious period for me working up to it, but they were really, really great experiences. Unlike my TB injection at school when I was in year nine, and I don't know whether anybody remembers having their TB injection. I don't think they actually do them anymore. I don't think they do them in schools anymore. I think they've stopped now. But that day for me was absolutely terrifying, and I remember it really, really well. West Brom, my football team, had beaten Man United in the League Cup the night before. I'd been to the game. It was an amazing experience. And to be honest, that was the only thing that took my mind off it all week, being at that game. And then the next day, I was kind of, as I was getting ready to go to school, I was getting really worked up about this injection again. And um, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, who I was actually with last night, and I asked his permission last night to tell this story because I felt like I needed to ask his permission to tell this story. A really good friend of mine. I actually ended up having a really good conversation with this friend of mine, who I'm not going to tell you his name just in case anybody knows him. Um, but I ended up having a really, really good conversation with him last night about the, the sermon and on all the things that I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, so that was a real, real blessing. But we, we uh, have been best friends since primary school, and... Um, his surname, my friend, is really close to mine in the register, so whenever we lined up for anything, we would always stand next to each other in line for, for almost anything. And um, TB injection, we were called out of our classrooms, and we had to go to Cromwell Hall in Plantsbrook. Some of you will remember. It's all been redone now. I don't think Cromwell Hall exists anymore. We had to queue outside, and um, I was chatting with my friend. He's also petrified of needles. He, he can't stand injections, and we were talking beforehand. And he was sort of saying to me, oh, you know, if I can do it, then you can do it, and it will be absolutely fine. And, you know, you know, got nothing to worry about. It's over in a second, you know. And actually talking to him really calmed me down. Like, it actually really made me feel like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I can do this. I can do this. Let's go. So the door opens, and they call my friend in, call his name, and he goes in. And then I'm stood out there on my own, sort of working myself up. And then I think, no, no, actually, he's right. I can do this. Then the door opens, and they call my name. And I go in, and the first thing I see is my mate, sprawled out on a crash mat because he's passed out. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, this dread washed over me. And I remember then just working myself up as I walked to the chair and all that. And that wasn't really a good, um, a good uh, experience for me. Um, but yeah, we'll all have different kind of feelings when it comes to the word being let down. Just over two years ago, before all of uh, the pandemic and everything, I started a series in the New Testament letter of James. And uh, James is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I said this uh, last uh, two years ago, and I'll say it every single time that I preach on, on this letter. It's one of my favorite books. Um, it's full of little nuggets of really, really valuable information about how to live a life for Jesus that makes a difference um, to those around us. I've had it described to me as a compact instruction manual almost for, for a, new, um, a new Christian. 
And the reason that this letter is written in the way that it is, is because James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, at the time of writing this letter, the brother of Jesus, was writing to his church, who were going through a really, really difficult, difficult time. Persecution uh, for Christians in that time was greatly increased, and that caused the Christians in Jerusalem to be scattered all around the Roman-occupied world. They were all over the place. And... um, so yeah, in the first kind of few verses of James, which we've looked at um, in, in earlier sermons, uh, we see James talking about learning to persevere and considering it pure joy when we persevere through trials and tough times. That gives us a bit of context and understanding to why I might be saying uh, words like that and sort of using phrases like that. And then a little bit later on, James talks about asking God for wisdom when we really, really need it without doubting so that we can mature in our faith. And then we come to these verses um, in James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And it's important to remember what I've just talked about when we look at these verses. Um, and we'll, we'll run over that in a second. I'm just going to read them to you. So imagining that the church is in a really difficult time at this point, James is writing to encourage them. Um, and I just want to read these verses from chapter 1, 9 to 11 to you. So it says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Should we just pray quickly and then get into it? Yeah, Father God, thank you that you provide absolutely everything we could possibly need and more. Thank you that you want each of us to live abundant, rich lives, the life that only you can give. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would speak through your Holy Spirit to each of us in the way that you want to speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So the church is in a difficult spot. Just after the death of Stephen, which we read about in Acts chapter 7 and 8, persecution's gone up. The church is scattered. It's very likely that a number of folks that have been scattered are going to be living, well, they are living in new places, and that they're going to be struggling. They're not going to be finding things very easy at this time. It's a new place, and likely struggling to make ends meet, struggling financially, poor, struggling to, uh, to, to get about daily life. So when James writes in verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, this is sort of to serve as a bit of an encouragement. Okay, so an encouragement to people who are in a situation where they're struggling. Your current situation, he's saying, can come with some benefits, humility um, and other things. Now, I feel like us here in Sutton, we might fall mostly, most of us, on the other side of these three short verses. And I think it's important to say now that our um, wealth... And, and the way that we feel about our own wealth is often thought about in relativity to those that we live around. So for, there might be some of us here who really feel quite poor. And when we kind of uh, look around uh, other folks that we live by, it might be our neighbours, it might be folks that we work with, we might feel poor in relation to, uh, to, to those folks around us. Some of us might feel like we're doing really well, and that's, and that's uh, really good. But yeah, it's thought about in, in relativity to those we live around. I, I put my um, salary, my wife's salary, my wife Deb is the um, discipleship team leader here, um, and our two kids are here as well. You might have uh, bumped into them as they were running around the foyer earlier. 
put our um, salaries into an online calculator, which tells you where you kind of line up in the world's kind of um, yeah, wealth, um, if that makes sense. And um, it's really, really likely that most of us, most of us will definitely fall inside the top 10%. It's really, really likely that most of us will be in the top 6%. So I'm, the, this online calculator told me that I'm actually in the top 5.8%. So 5.8% of the world are actually richer than me. So when we think about it in relativity to those around us, we might feel a certain way. When we think about it in relativity to the world, it shows a slightly different picture. Like, a lot of us are wealthy in, 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 terms, of, in terms of the way that we look at the world. So these verses might speak a little bit differently to us, most of us, than they would to the Christians 2,000 years ago that were in those difficult situations. So then in verses 10 and 11, we read these words. It says, But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about, the business. They go about their business. Sorry. It's very easy for us to look at that word rich as well sometimes when we read scripture and to kind of think, to, to shut off sometimes, I think. At least I do this sometimes. Because if you don't think about yourself in, in, in relativity to those around us, kind of, kind of rich, you can see that word and think about stories like Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. And you can think, well, I don't have a problem on that scale. Like, I'm not as rich as that guy. And we sort of, I don't know, secretly pray at night that Jesus won't wake us up and tell us to sell everything like he does to that guy because we really don't want him to ask us to do that. But we think we don't have kind of like a, a, an issue on that scale, potentially. And then there's the other side as well, which um, can be that we often... Where am I? We might feel like... Sorry, I've lost my place. Yeah, so we look at these words and we kind of think that basically, particularly if we're young, I think actually is another um, important thing to say. If we're only earning pocket money, for example, we might think, okay, well, this actually doesn't really relate to me. We can also potentially get quite judgmental sometimes and we can look over our shoulder and think, well, this actually isn't speaking to me, this is speaking more to, to this person over there or this person over there. And also, it might be that we beat ourselves up when we read verses like this and think, well, actually, I haven't got this all sorted out in my life and I haven't actually got this down. And I definitely, kind of leading up to doing this talk, I've been thinking that about myself, to be honest, thinking I actually haven't got this down yet. And the hope tonight isn't that either of those things will happen, that we'll feel judgmental and we'll look over our shoulder or that we'll feel like we need to beat ourselves up and really kind of, um, yeah, think I haven't got this down, but actually that God as I prayed earlier, would speak to each of us individually about where we're at. So just to recap, James in a nutshell is saying to his followers, if you're poor, be lifted up because you are in a humble position. For, for the rich, wealth is fleeting like that of uh, the life of a wildflower in a field. The rich should celebrate that they will be humbled when their wealth becomes nothing. Comparing the span of our lives to the span of eternity, okay, our lives are very, very short. So if we spend our lives building up loads of stuff in this really short amount of time that we have in the span of eternity, it actually seems like a really, really short length of time. These uh, verses are actually a quote from uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is a fantastic um, book in scripture, well worth a read, um, and it's full of fantastic things. And just verses 6 to 8 here 
uh, it's believed that James is quoting these verses through these passages, through what he's writing. And Isaiah chapter 40 says this. It says, A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. People are like grass and wildflowers. We wither away. The things we have wither away. You know, somebody said to me this week, so I was planning this, naked, we come into this world naked, we leave it. Those sort of ideas. These words in Isaiah explain that we're mortal. But in verse 8 of this uh, passage here from Isaiah, we're told that God's word is eternal and unfailing. Public opinion might change, and public opinion tends to be unreliable, but God's word is constant. Only in God's eternal word will we truly find the solutions to our problems that we need. So to James's readers, in humble situations, don't strive after riches. They're fleeting, unreliable solutions to your problems. Instead, rely on the everlasting word of God, both in scripture and in him speaking to us. Then James uses this image of the scorching sun. And this imagery is also used in other areas of Isaiah, actually, um, and in other areas of scripture as well, to kind of give us this image of um, something uh, difficult happening. And um, I think, you know, if we think about the Middle East and, and where Isaiah was speaking from and where James was speaking from, we, we can imagine that the sun is hot there. And when the sun really, really scorches, it's difficult, it's unpleasant. People tend to not spend, I mean, just like the, the weather we had a few weeks ago, where it's hot, People don't tend to spend lots of time out in the midday sun because it's dangerous. But in places like this as well, crops fail, food runs out, water runs out, people suffer. And James writes to his followers, when the sun really scorches and you find yourself in a really, really tough place, the riches and wealth and your stuff won't help you. In other words, James is readers and for us today, when you find yourself under persecution, when you find out that you've become ill, when your mental health is really suffering, these are things that your wealth won't save you from. If you build your life on this stuff, if you let it be your security, if you let it be your identity, then it will eventually let you down. James writes that you will be humbled. We can be led to believe, and this is kind of the trick that it plays on us, is when the sun really scorches, let's say, our mental health is bad, let's say, as an example, which is actually something I've dealt with since I was a teenager. I've suffered with anxiety. D doing something like this gives me a lot of anxiety. <laughs> but it's something that I've struggled with. When, when, let's say, our mental health is bad, we can be led to feel like, oh, okay, well, if I was a bit more financially secure, if I felt better in that area of my life, then I might feel better generally. I might, it might just make me feel better. If I'm lonely and I'm struggling to meet people or make friends, or if I had a bit more money, maybe I'd have more friends, maybe I would just generally feel better about myself. But we know money doesn't answer these problems. Somebody said to me today, money can't buy your love, to quote the famous song, and it's true. It doesn't make us feel better about ourselves. It lets us down time and time again. Beautiful one day which I think we should acknowledge, like the wildflowers in the field, which is why it's such a good image. Beautiful one day, and then gone the next. 
So as well as this as well, uh, so James, the letter, um, people uh, think he's also based in and around the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' uh, famous sermon in Matthew 5 and 6. And uh, Jesus says, really, a verse that many of us will be familiar with in Matthew 6, about not storing up for ourselves treasures on earth, but instead storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, you can't take any of this stuff that you build up on earth with you into heaven, so instead build up to something that's going to last. In a nutshell, again, just to wrap up before we look at a couple of bits of application. Don't be tempted by the wealth, James is saying to his followers, a snare of this world and the lies that it feeds you. We look at the glorious wildflowers in the field and we think that they're what matters. But we're told time and time again in Scripture and examples that we've just been given that the material things and the things that we collect here are not what matters. They will eventually let us down. But God and his word and trusting in him will never, ever let us down. So I just want to look at two really quick questions in terms of why it's so important and urgent that we understand this and, 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 and apply these verses, and how do we go about applying them. So why is it so urgent, and how then do we go about applying them if it's urgent? Well, the first thing I want to say about it being urgent... I'll just have a sip of water. ..is that today is the best day to start. And what I mean by that is... If, um, as we've just been kind of looking through uh, these few short verses, you've kind of realised this is perhaps a personal issue for you, then today is the best day to start. I think money has a funny uh, way of convincing us to perhaps delay sorting it out, sorting out our unhealthy habit with it. Only, you know, you kind of think in your head, only if, you know, I could wait until the end of the month, until I'm a bit secure, until I get paid, and I'll sort out my relationship with money then. Uh, you know, I'll sort out my relationship with money when my, uh, you know, my money hasn't dipped below that magical number in my bank account, you know, that I want to keep it at, which I know a lot of us have, that magic number that we don't want it to go below. And do you know what I mean? And we think in our heads, well, actually, okay, well, I'll sort it out then. But today is actually the best day to start. And it's urgent because any unattended sin left in our lives will wreak havoc. We've just um, recently taken on an allotment and um, some of you may have seen, uh, I posted uh, like a series of photos on uh, my Instagram, and um, it was like a progression. And I haven't taken any photos since then, because it's got gradually worse since then. <laughs> and um, I'm actually frightened to go back, to be honest, this week. Um, but basically, we, we took it on, we cleared it, and, and you know, it was all going really, really well. And then the weeds start to come up. And the weeds start to come up, and they, they come, and they come, and they come. And then you kind of think, oh, well, I'll leave it a week, and I'll go and sort it out. And then you leave it a week. And the problem is with leaving it a week is that the problem's then too big to sort out in one day. So I go down and I do a little bit. I sort of do, you know, a quarter of the job. And then I come back the next day and it's all grown back again. So then you think, oh, I can't be dealing with this. I'm going to leave it two weeks next time. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And it snowballs. Sin is like that in our lives. If we leave it unattended, the problem becomes bigger and bigger to fix and to sort out those weeds become more of an effort to take out and to pull away. And I was reading um, something by the great theologian N.T. Wright just, just a week or so ago, and uh, specific, specifically about Jesus being uh, the temptation at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, specifically in the Gospel of Luke. 
And um, N.T. Wright talks about why Jesus was tempted at the beginning of his ministry. And he says, we often look at Jesus like this Superman who, um, you know, sin sort of just bounced off. He didn't really ever struggle with, with anything. He could, be, he could, you know, withstand any temptation. And then he talks about, in Hebrews 4, where it talks about Jesus being tempted and enduring everything in the way that we do as well. And he says, you know, we need to have a different way of looking at Jesus in this, in this scenario. And he, he goes on to talk about the reason that he believes that Jesus was tempted at the be- very beginning of his ministry was because, and, and for want of a more kind of eloquent phrase, but, but wanted to nip those big uh, temptations in the bud quickly. He wanted to deal with the things that he knew were going to be a real temptation for him in his ministry straight away at the beginning because when he got into his ministry and he was, he was kind of doing the things, he was doing the stresses and the difficulties, all that stuff bought, perhaps with all the stresses of that going on, it would have been, these temptations would have been a, too difficult for him to bear. And that might be a, kind of an interesting way for us, some of us to think. But the idea is that Jesus did it at the beginning because he wanted to deal with those things straight away, nip them in the bud before they became too much of an issue later on in his ministry. And Hebrews 4 then goes on to say, and Jesus, he endures everything that we endure, and he did not sin. Jesus managed it, and we don't quite. We sin, we make mistakes. It's all the more important for us to try and nip these things in the bud early. Much like my allotment, the earlier you deal with it and the earlier you pick the stuff, the less work it is further down the road. So that's the first reason that it's urgent, because today is the best day to start. And the second urgency is because we need to show the world a different way. So James's letters aren't written to folks, as we've just looked at, in a, in, a, in a nice Christian bubble, in a nice community somewhere. They're written to a people scattered in difficult situations. And um, he's writing, yes, to encourage these folks, but also he's writing because he knows that he needs these guys to make a real difference for Jesus in the places that they are. He wants them to make a real, real difference for Jesus where they are. And we see it time and time again in our, um, in our culture, in our world. Celebrity culture, megastar one day and a nobody the next. All the money and happiness in the world one day, miserable, anxious and depressed the next. And being a youth worker and working with some fantastic young people in this church, I do worry about social media, YouTube, Instagram, and all these types of platforms that we have, the way that they glamorize this kind of celebrity uh, lifestyle. We know the horror stories, we see how they play out, yet we're still transfixed by the glamour and the, the glitter of it all. We're still absolutely transfixed, and we might sit there and say, it doesn't matter, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to be famous. I'm not going to live a life like that. I'm not going to become some sort of celebrity. Um, but my worry is that fantasizing about these things or thinking about this being like the pinnacle of our society that you have to rise to, what that does to our character in the process and what that does to us as we think about those things. And I've not actually really told that many people this before, but when I was young, um, probably early teenage years. I used to play football in the garden loads. I mean, my dad will tell you I wrecked a few fence panels uh, <laughs> in our garden. Um, and uh, I used to do that loads. I was always in the garden. I'd always listen to my music in my room as well. And I used to think about and fantasize about being famous. 
like being a famous footballer and doing interviews and, and all sorts of things. And I genuinely think that that in part, perhaps in a small part, but would have contributed to an unhealthy relationship with money that I would have had in my late, well, I did have in my late teens. Just thinking and fantasizing about those kinds of, those kinds of things um, definitely contributed to that for me. And um, I just feel like as followers of Jesus, we have to present a different way to what the world is seeing and looking at because I feel the age of YouTube, Instagram, this quick fame, this quick wealth, where it doesn't matter at all about our moral, uh, where we stand morally, our characters. It just matters about being in the right place at the right time with the right idea. And then we get thousands and millions of views and we get fame and wealth like that. And my worry is that when we look at that as the pinnacle of our society and what we need to strive to, what that does to our characters in the, in the, uh, in the process. So it's needed more than ever for those two reasons. How do we tackle it? How do we go about applying these verses? Really quickly, I just want to share two things because I'm overrunning. And I just want to share two really quick ideas with you guys about how to tackle some of this stuff. My mother-in-law, Davian Wilson, um, sent me something really helpful this week in relation to these verses. And um, she found it really, really helpful. The easiest way for me to explain it is just to read it to you. I can't put it in any better words. So it's just to read this quote to you. And um, it's, um, it's a quote by a lady called Ellen Painter Dollar, which I found really funny that her name was Dollar. Um, <laughs> she's talking about money. But I, I'm aware it's quite small on the screen. I am going to read it out. Um, but yeah, uh, so this is just talking about what she calls abundant simplicity. And I just thought this explained uh, kind of a way to apply this really, really well. So she says, once I lived in meagre financial circumstances, but instead of flourishing in this period of simplicity, I ended up feeling resentful. Even the most mundane purchases turned into occasions for anxiety and guilt. Scrutinizing every purchase didn't free me from material concerns to make room for spiritual oneness. It just made me cranky. Yet Jesus came that we might have rich, satisfying, abundant life from John 10.10. I believe that Christians should strive for abundant simplicity. Abundant simplicity does not mean to agonize over every purchase or merely adhering to a certain number of possessions. Gratitude, contentment, and acceptance of life as it is, even when it doesn't conform to our preferences, these are virtues. Abundant simplicity is about paying attention to what we want and need, what we have and buy, what we spend, save, and give, and our relationships with our bank accounts and material objects. We're able to honestly ask others, when do money and things enhance our lives? And when do they tempt us to envy, anxiety, fear, pride, or selfishness? Simplicity doesn't always mean spending less. It doesn't always mean having less. Our practice of simplicity should be interwoven with our gratitude for God's good gifts, our faithful stewardship of the money and possessions he's given us, our generous giving to those in need, and a sense of freedom to respond joyfully to God's leading. It's not about, you know, it's not a straightforward equation of we need this much and everybody needs to have the same amount. There's not some set amount we all need to spend on our car or our houses or any of this sort of stuff. It's about a conscious attitude about what we spend, save, and give. How much time and thought do we put into our financial situation? Could we think about it more? Could we pray about it more? 
And lastly, just before we finish, just a helpful little add-on. I, I, when I was a teenager, would probably have been more happy if somebody had complimented me on my choice of trainers or my top than on my character, just being honest. And um, I remember having a conversation with a really good friend of mine, Charlie Clayton, who many of you will know. Um, Charlie uh, mentored me right at the beginning uh, of my faith and um, yeah, when I first became a Christian. And uh, just um, a couple of months or so after I'd become a Christian, I remember having a conversation with Charlie. It's probably six, seven months after I became a Christian. Um, I remember having a conversation with Charlie. And um, Charlie said, you know, rather than being complimented on what you have uh, and the things that you've got or the achievements you've made, why don't you try and figure out and recognize when people compliment you on the fruits of the Spirit? Um, and, he, he, you know, from Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and he said, you know, when somebody compliments you are on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, why don't you try and recognize when somebody compliments you on one of those, those things? Because that's evidence right there that that's God working in your life. That's God working through you. And about two or three days after I'd had this conversation with him, we, I was at church, and I think it was Friday diner. And I um, sort of rushed ahead because I was, I was trying to get through um, to, uh, the, I think it was the toilet down the far end by the kitchen, and I held the door open for a lady who was just coming into the foyer. And I held the door open, and she walked up and walked through the door, and she said, how patient, what a gentleman. And it suddenly clicked, and it was a God moment. I was like, those are two of those uh, those things listed in Galatians 5. How patient, what a gentleman. It was like this moment where I was just like, okay, yeah, I get it. I understand it. So rather than trying to build riches and wealth, why don't we try and focus on building our character, looking to see where God's working through our lives and building in those things. So, yeah, so just to finish, much like, you know, my friend who... Um, let me down all those years ago at my TB injection. When the sun scorches and it's hot, riches, they will eventually let you down. But the word of God will not, does not, and it never will. And what might our lives look like when we get it right? Just a bit later on from Isaiah chapter 40 that we looked at earlier, Isaiah has these words. The Lord your God will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. So rather than those wildflowers in the field that when the sun scorches are withered and disappear, if you lean on God, trust his word, allow him to guide your life, he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and keep you like that well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Should we pray together? Yeah, thank you, Lord, that we can just be here together this evening. Thank you, yeah, for speaking to us. I pray, well, I thank you that you want to bring us abundant, good, full lives. Thank you again that you provide absolutely everything that we could possibly need and more. And I pray for anybody here tonight who is feeling like, yeah, that wealth is that temptation Lord, I pray that you would help me. I pray that today would be the day to start that journey with you, to, yeah, developing that, to growing with you, to being led by you. Yeah, so we, yeah, just lift up the rest of this evening to you. Yeah, do what you will. Speak, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.
You said you had an unhealthy relationship with money as a teenager, yeah. coming out of the, the story about uh, wanting to be a footballer and whatever. Yeah. Can you just unpack that a little bit more? What, 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 did, what do you mean your relationship with money was unhealthy? So, I, so when I was in sixth form, so uh, year 12, I got a job uh, at Sainsbury's. Uh, it was the first proper job I'd had, Sainsbury's and Mere Green. And um, my basic mentality with money, I think, at that point was, well, to work as well, just my general kind of thoughts were, earn as much money as you can, spend it all on yourself, you'll have a great time. And I used to, uh, from quite a young age, sort of go out on the weekends and spend a lot of time with friends. So it'd be that kind of, yeah, that kind of routine of work, Friday, Saturday, a bit of Sunday, perhaps go out on a Friday or Saturday night, go to school again on the Monday, do a week at school, and then do the same thing again. And, and I think eventually I just got so sick and tired of that. I mean, that's part of my, my testimony, becoming a Christian, actually, is that kind of thing. But, but my relationship with money was work as hard as you can to get it, to basically spend it on myself and on the things that I wanted. And I think for me, I was always quite uh, vain, I would say. I, I wanted to, to look the best. I wanted to have the best clothes. I wanted to have the right type of trainers. That's just how I was. You're over that. I, <laughs> I, would, I would say I've gotten a lot better. I would say you could talk to my wife. She would have, yeah, I don't know what my wife's opinion would be. Maybe you can ask her afterwards. But I would say my spending habits are definitely better. So me and Deb, are, so my wife, we're very, very different. I think Deb is a lot more along the lines of saving. Money burns a hole in my pocket, it does. I like to think I'm generous as well and would give money away and, and, and you know, be, be fine with, with doing that. But it definitely burns a hole in my pocket. I want to get rid of it very quickly. I've gotten a lot better, I And how did, how did that let you down, that... That sort of yeah. hope in money. How, how did that let you down? So I'd say, again, it's, it's part of my testimony of becoming a Christian, really. I went, uh, I went to Soul Survivor, a friend. I became a Christian at Soul Survivor. Most of you, many of you will know Christian Festival, Soul Survivor. I was invited by a friend. I was actually told it was a music festival, and I ended up going. Um, and, um, yeah, I'd been to church. I'd obviously been part of this church. My mum and dad, who are here, have been part of this church for a long, long time. And I came as a young kid, um, but um, stopped coming to church in my early teens and, and, and sort of, yeah, just, just sort of stopped. And, um, yeah, so I became a Christian. And I, I, the only way I can describe it is I'd gotten so fed up with that self-centered way of living. And I was just completely desperate for something else. And I broke down that week because I was just so tired. I think doing that kind of routine that I talked about of going out, working, sorry, getting back from school on a Friday night, working, Saturday working all day, Sunday working, and then going back to school, I was just so tired. I was so fed up of that kind of thing. And just, yeah, learning through those two years that you can't, you know, going out as much as you, you know, and spending money on that sort of stuff and having fun and buying all the stuff you want isn't what makes you feel satisfied as a person and makes you feel good and I was so desperate to, to look for something else and that something else ended up being God and <laughs> that's been a great, pro, definitely a process and a journey that I'm still on and, and, but I think yeah that's kind of I was just desperate basically I think towards the end. So are there other ways that you think we can spot in ourselves 
that our dependence on wealth is too much? What are the things that you would say are telltale signs? Yes, I think what I talked about at the end there, I, so in terms of focusing on the fruits of the Spirit and, and letting people affirm that in you, I definitely was... So, so for me, I was much more bothered that people would compliment me on my achievements or the things that I had. And I think if you're the type of person that gets a bit of a kick off somebody saying, you know, oh, those are really nice trainers, and that gives you like a real buzz and it makes you feel good about yourself, if that's how you get your sort of self-esteem and that fills up that meter, then I would say that's definitely a sign of an unhealthy relationship with that type of stuff. Um, why, why do you think we need a new, new trainers, new phone, new trousers, new shirt? What, what, where, what is that within us that thinks yeah. I've, got to have the, I've got to be complimented that this is... I don't know. I've got I to mean, have a better phone than you. I was going to say, so now I need stuff when it gets worn out. I st <laughs> so I still... So, like, I've bought a new pair of trainers... I bought a new pair of trainers a few weeks ago, and that's because my other pair were getting a bit tatty and I needed some. So I would say that, that that's why... Practically why we should need stuff, why we need it to fill us up. I used to do with fitting in. I think we feel like... We want to be part of the in-crowd, at least I definitely did. My, when I got older, I don't know whether anybody else has noticed this, and this, being a youth worker as well, it struck me how all of the young people, if I would walk through Sutton, look exactly the same in terms of what they wear. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, I was one of them when I was a teenager. I looked exactly the same as everybody else, and I kind of thought, it's just this desire to look and fit in. And I think if I've lost anything, over the, the years, it's been that. I don't feel a desire, I don't know, it's because I'm older, I don't feel a desire to fit in anymore in that same way. But I would say that the, the driver probably is that a lot of the time. Um, yeah, I also think there is a big thing with looking wealthy. So I think, you know, a lot of the kids these days are wearing very expensive, not just kids, adults as well, wear expensive clothes, because if, if you've got that brand. So a lot of my friends, a lot of my school friends from school, back in the day, they'll all wear Ralph Lauren and all that type of thing. And, it, and it's often, I'm not saying everybody who buys Ralph Lauren does it for this, but I know for them it's about being seen in the right thing to look like you've got money. And there's that mentality as well, which is if I look rich on a night out, then somebody might talk to me or that, that kind of mentality as well. And do you think that carries on beyond adolescence to having the right extension, the right carpet, the oh, right absolutely. car, the right post, postal... I think What's the so. word? Postcode, the yeah, right yeah. garden. I think so. Is it still around in adults? I think so. And I think that's when I talked about fantasizing as like a young teenager about being famous, that contributed to something which that was probably doing that when I was like 12, 13. That then contributed to an unhealthy habit when I was like 17, 18, 19. So I think if you have unhealthy habits, and again, the reason why about starting with it today is because, and like all sorts of things in our lives, the, the impacts can be 10 years down the line. They're not just, you know, an impact that's going to happen in six months. It's like, actually, if you don't deal with this now, um, this is going to be an issue 10 years down the line. There's loads of things when I talk to, I do, do a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff with guys uh, in the youth, and I talk about, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff. For example, financially, all sorts of other things, sexually, all sorts of things before you get married. And I talk about that quite a lot with, with young people because actually you feel like, oh, well, when I get to this point in my life, that isn't going to be an issue anymore. Do you know what I mean? You have that kind of mentality. When I get into my 30s, this isn't going to be an issue. And actually, that's not true. If you don't deal with stuff early 
actually it becomes so much more difficult to deal with later on down the so line. If you don't deal with thinking you'll be happy with the best trainers, uh, you wake up one day and you're not happy because you've got the best kitchen. I think so, yeah. And so I you've think, got to have an extension or you've yeah, got to have a new yeah, kitchen. Or, needs, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Just, okay, so the question linked to that uh, maybe uh, is uh, what does showing the world a different way look like in Sutton? Well, I think for one, so, so talking about that, uh, having that conversation with my friend Charlie about, about being built up by good things, I think for me, and I, I mentioned it briefly when I spoke, you know, building our character rather than our, our wealth. And I think that is a massive thing for me. I've got a number of friends who, um, a number of non-Christian friends who I've known from school. And when I am with them, I'm constantly thinking in my mind, you know, what am I doing here to make a difference to them? And um, I can remember many, many years ago believing that the right thing for me to do with that group of friends particularly was to talk to them like about stuff, which I think is absolutely in some situations the right, the right thing to do. And I remember being on a night out, I had a raging argument with a friend of mine who's an atheist, really nasty, horrible argument where I was talking about, you know... Um, why, you know, I think Christianity is really, really important. He was talking about all the reasons why he didn't, he didn't think that. And I, I woke up the next morning and I remember God saying to me in that moment, you know, because I felt really bad and I, I remember God saying to me in that moment, you just need to love him as a friend. And I remember in that moment him saying that. And it's not that, that was the right, that's the right thing for everybody to do all the time. It's just that was the right thing for me to do in that situation with that person. And I felt like, in that moment, okay, I don't need to talk to everybody about this necessarily all the time. I don't need to talk to this person. I just need to love him. And by showing him love and showing him a different way through my character, I felt like that would make a difference in his life. Now, it happened that probably about four or five years down the line, when he was in a really bad situation with his family, he actually rung me up and asked me to get together and talk about it. And I thought that was a real privilege that he'd chosen me to want to talk to, to about that. And we, we met up and we talked about this difficult time he was going through. So I think making a difference for me, rather than building our bank accounts or building the things that, you know, James writes in his letter, will wither away, your character will make echoes throughout eternity with all sorts of different people. If you build on that and you make a difference in people's lives, that goes... I mean, you spoke this morning about passing on a good mood. I kind of feel like or not passing on a bad mood. And I kind of feel like that, building our character, you know, working on our character, becoming more and more like Jesus, looking at those things that it talks about, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, building those into your life, that shows the world a different way, that shows a different mentality. And again, looking at um, social media and, and YouTube and all that sort of stuff, which touched on briefly, uh, that whole thing of it, there's a lot of famous people on, on things like YouTube that have had to input no sort of moral whatever or no build up their character in no way at all to get to, to that point and that level of fame. It's just instant fame. It's instant. And I'm not saying that hasn't happened at other points in history either, but I feel like now it's so prevalent. And for me, feeding ourselves with that and, and looking like, you know, status comes with being in the right place at the right time and having a good idea rather than anything to do with our characters, just to me is completely wrong and awful how do we stop ourselves or uh, looking at others and being 
envious or, or critical, saying, well, they're too rich. I mean, and do you think there is a danger in us always thinking, well, other people are rich and having a go at other people and deflecting it off ourselves? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, just, you know, talking about being judgmental when we read scriptures like that sometimes and looking over our shoulder and thinking, you know... Uh, I think it's really, really difficult because, again, our wealth is felt in relativity to those around us. And, and, and there isn't any magic number of money that we should all have. There isn't any magic amount that we should spend on our car. There isn't any magic amount, you know, that we should all have. It's, it's purely about an attitude towards what we have. So I feel like if we're looking at other people and thinking, well, they're not doing this right, they, they've not got this down, then actually that would probably be a sign to me that you actually need to look at what you're doing with it and make sure that you're in the right place with it first. And I think, yeah, showing by, leading by example. And I think, again, just building your character and your issues. But I think that's... Do you, do you think there are yeah. people who are too rich and need to give it away? I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think, so I did, I did a little thing when I, that, that um, wealth calculator that I, that I went on, um, I, there's a, there was a little thing about um, the average, it was, it was the state of the US, which is why I didn't use it, but the US kind of average income for a family, and then it showed you, like it had a little, it was like a bar chart that went across horizontally, and it was like the average US income, and then it had a millionaire, and it was kind of a much bigger bar, and then it had Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, and you had to scroll to the right for such a long time <laughs> before you got to the end of his bar. It was ridiculous, and... I do look at things like that and feel slightly ill. It does make me feel like this isn't all right. Um, and again, it's an attitude, but I do think that the world's wealth, I mean, is so badly spread out. And I think, yeah, it starts with us. So it starts with us making right decisions about our amount that we have and doing that. I also think with that, yeah, there are definitely people who are, who are very, very wealthy in the world that should give more away. But I also feel like sometimes when we're in a situation where we don't feel like we have a lot, sometimes giving, I don't, I don't want this to be a plug for giving, but sometimes giving is often the last thing that we think about. And actually, if giving is the first thing that we think about, regardless of however much we have, I believe that God blesses that and absolutely um, blesses that decision to give uh, to, to, yeah, and, and like, you know, he will give us everything we need and more. Like, you know, God wants us to live abundant lives, like that quote I was talking about, he wants us to live abundant lives. He will give us exactly what we need. But I feel like with the little that we have, if we choose, if giving is the first thing we think about rather than the last, then I feel like God blesses that. Um, it's another thing that I think is important. I Sorry, that probably you, hasn't really answered yeah, no, the question. No, and I, I didn't I, really I, want to answer that first question, if I'm being honest. I, 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 I think that sometimes we get... Uh, put off by this idea that we have to give everything away. Yeah. And I think that what you've just said, I think there are two things that I would say are something that we can all do in Sutton. Mm. Two things that I think are, if I don't want to do them, maybe I've got a problem. Mm. <laughs> and the two things that create the conversations about living mm. differently. And the first is try going six months without buying anything new. Mm. Yeah. And if you can do six months, try a year. Mm. Try having the oldest car amongst your friends. Mm. How, try having the oldest phone amongst your friends. Yeah. Try wearing shoes until they get a hole in them, not mm. until they're out of fashion. Yeah, yeah. And see if that feels okay. Mm -hmm. 
see what if, if your friends reject you and never want to speak to you again, or whether they admire your contentment. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, what we can offer the world is not a way to be richer, but a way to be satisfied with mm. what we have. Yeah. So try it. That's my first tip, mm. is to try not giving anything away. Just stick with what you got. Mm. Just stick with Absolutely. what you've got and see how long you can make it last. Absolutely. And I think that creates a counterculture in Sutton. And the second thing is linking up with what you were saying is go for giving, mm. go for generosity. Uh, the Bible says start at 10%. Go for 10%. When you've got for 10%, you go beyond it. Mm. And you say, okay, 10% to God's work. And then, then I'll give to the poor on top of that. And you go for 15%, yeah. you go for 20%, whatever you can get to. Be generous. And if both of those things, you go, no way, then we're in danger that mm. when trouble comes, we've put our trust in the wrong stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we can be generous and if we can stick with what we've got, mm -hmm. I think those are good things. And I think... I think you've been brilliant. I think that's really, really helpful. We've got loads of questions, but I think time is gone. I think we'll, we'll, we'll call it a day there. Yeah, that's great.